I'm William O'Flaherty, and welcome to the All About Jack podcast on the Knowing and Understanding C.S. Lewis YouTube channel. Today, Kevin Belmonte returns as my guest with something you might not have expected. Legendary Christian artist Phil Kagi created musical versions of poems Kevin wrote. The project is called Pilgrimage, and four of the 12 tracks on this project, which is new for 2023, relate to C.S. Lewis in some way. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thank you, William. It's good to be with you. Well, now, for those less familiar with Phil Kagi, what can you tell me about a musician who has blessed so many since the late 1960s? Wow, that's a tall order. I'll, I'll try and be succinct. Uh, I think the place to begin for me is, is I know Phil best as a friend, uh, just someone for whom kindness and the gift of friendship is a deep vein in who he is and what so many people have come to know and being friends with him. But as a musician, uh, he, he really has a special place uh, well, in music history, really. He was, as a person in his late teens, he had the great good fortune to be part of a progressive rock trio called Glass Harp, which was signed to Decca Records. And even in those days, uh, his guitar technique and prowess and his singing ability uh, won all kinds of accolades. Uh, they, they played at Carnegie Hall, they had uh, three studio releases and a live album. It was recorded at Carnegie Hall. So very early on, Phil was a significant presence on the music scene in the late 60s going on into the early 70s. Uh, Phil came to faith shortly before the Jesus Revolution itself took hold. He was right around 1970. He came to faith. Uh, his older sister led him to faith through a uh, a very difficult time. He had lost his mom due to a car accident and was asking a lot of the big questions in life. And his sister came alongside him and showed him the way to faith. And you know, that birthed something really special in Phil's music, a, a transformation to where faith became the centerpiece of all the music he's created since then, you know, beginning in 1973 with his solo album, What a Day, on through to the present and uh, dozens of albums, many of which have won critical acclaim, and uh, you know, it's really been remarkable. Uh, Phil has just been such a, a wonderful presence in the history of, of music and uh, sharing his faith. As I say, uh, so many admire him for his technique and gifts and ability to play. Uh, he's a guitarist, guitarist as they say, but he also has a, a remarkable way with words. Uh, he's this much a poet as he is a gifted instrumentalist and of course his voice uh, is one that people recognize straight away a wonderful gift he has vocally so yeah I know I, I think if you were to get a short list together of all the folk who've been influenced by Phil his example and uh, his artistry the list would be very long indeed mm, definitely yes uh I was introduced to his music uh, shortly after becoming a Christian in uh, 1980. And while I tended towards liking more of the um, rock sound in, in the Christian music, um, I said to a friend that, oh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, get on a, a keggy kick. And so it, it started uh, around late 1981, 1982, and it has never stopped. Well, you know, it's a common experience. I think in those days, you know, for those of us who grew up in the 70s, uh, you know, I came to faith in 76 when I was 12. 
and the Narnia books were a big part of that experience, and I can maybe chat with you a little bit about that later, but one of the first uh, musicians I was introduced to, uh, someone for whom faith really was the centerpiece of their artistry and, and their records, was Phil. Of course, Keith Green was another, and, and there's a, a song on the album, Pilgrimage, that talks about that, uh, so perhaps we can touch on that a bit later, but... Uh, yeah, Phil was one of those first friends for my journey of faith, and his music, I'm sure it's true for a lot of people, has sort of become the soundtrack for a lot of us in our journey of faith. We just have so many moments we can look to a point to where Phil's songs were there, and we can think of a specific time and place. You know, For me, the one that stands out is when I was in high school and I had my first car, it was a 1970 Plymouth Duster. And uh, in those days, 8-track tapes were still a thing, and uh, I did have an AM-FM 8-track uh, unit that we was able to install in the car, and uh, so someone was kind enough to uh, give me an 8-track a copy of Phil's album, Love Broke Through. It was the only 8-track I had, so <laughs> I have so many fond memories of driving the, the country roads of New Hampshire where we were living at the time and listening to that album and just seemed like every note and every line of the songs on that album became just so familiar and such a source of blessing. Mm, yes, yeah, that, that that was a good project that I was you know, introduced to, of course, after it had been released. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll fast forward here to the, to the present day and the uh, project uh, Pilgrimage. The uh, fourth and eleventh tracks have the closest relationship to Lewis. One's entitled England, and then another one, The Eagle and Child. Um, you know, how did the lyrics uh, come about for these songs? Okay, well, we'll start with the second one first. Uh, the Eagle and Child, of course, you and I have been there, at the wonderful pub there in Oxford, which has such close ties to the Inklings and was the scene for so many special conversations and a setting where their works uh, began to take shape and then be read amongst peers. So it's a special literary setting there. But for me, and the genesis of the, the words to the song, and I wrote uh, all the words for the songs on Pilgrimage, and as you say, Phil was kind enough to set them to music. Um, it, it began really when I saw a picture of our mutual friend Malcolm Guide. Malcolm had posted uh, on Facebook, I think it was, a picture uh, that had been taken of him at the Eagle and Child, and it was just such a... A fine photo, it, it captured a moment and a friend who was very happy to be in a special place. But uh, as I looked at the picture and I looked at the clock on the wall, uh, images and thoughts really about uh, how many famous folk have walked through those doors, grateful to retrace the steps of Lewis, Tolkien, and all the rest, uh, it, it seemed like it, it just words seemed to come. And so I wrote them down, and this was probably sometime in... 2017, 2018, and it's been a while back. And I often, as a writer's exercise, uh, take a break from writing books. I'll do something, you know, sort of on a smaller scale and just uh, write down thoughts in a sort of stream of consciousness way. Sometimes they're the lines of a poem, sometimes it's just uh, the flow of thoughts, and just to get used to tapping into that author's voice. And so, I set the lines I'd written for Eagle and Child aside, and uh, I sent them along to Malcolm, and he was very happy to get them and like them, but it was one of those things where you just kind of did it and set it aside, you know, how it often is when we uh, we make notes to ourselves, so to speak. Uh, 
but then, uh, as we were starting work on pilgrimage, and uh, Phil mentioned that he's been working with Malcolm, and they've met, and Malcolm has recited his poetry, and and Phil has played music while he's done so. Uh, I thought perhaps Phil might like to see it, so I just did what you do with your pen pals. You, you send things along from time to time, and I, I sent him what I'd written, the lines for the Eagle and Child, and, uh, oh gosh, might have been just a day or two later, Phil had uh, written the music, set the words to music, and sent me one of the first uh, demos for that song and uh, it really seemed to hit a sweet spot with him because his love for C.S. Lewis you know, goes back decades and for me, you know, to his wonderful song, As the Ruin Falls which sets one of Lewis's poems to music, so I think the combination of Phil's friendship with Malcolm and all the the references to the eagle and child, it, it hit a, a special point of inspiration for Phil and that's how that song came about as for England, uh, that song has a special place, too. Uh, many times I return to Van Morrison's album, Hymns to the Silence, and uh, I just think of his great gift for capturing a sense of place, um, sometimes seen through the lens of our memory, but other times just uh, walking a landscape. Those kinds of images uh, and reflections seem to shine through in very special ways on that album from Van Morrison, and I, I've often thought about England in that way. I, I lived there for a semester when I was an undergrad. I, I spent so much time there uh, with friends, walking the land, uh, getting a sense of place in my own heart for what England uh, has been in the place of history, but also in literary ways, and then just having the gift of, of being alone and being quiet in the English landscape. And I, I thought, well, you know, if I could ever try and, and write a set of lines, some verse, that would capture some of the things that I feel about England, whether it's retracing the steps of the Inklings in England, or uh, being with friends that I've met in more recent times over there, if I could write all that down and, and sort of get it into a poem and uh, convey all of that, the words that became the song England, that, that's what that grew out of. So there was a Van Morrison influence and, and admiration on the one hand, but then also just a deep sense of gratitude for scenes and experiences that I've known there in the UK. And uh, I wrote it down, uh, we, we're near the end actually, of uh, putting songs together for pilgrimage, and Phil said, gee Kevin, if you've got two or three more sets of verse that you can send along, we can do a proper album. And that was one of the ones I sent along near the end, and Phil wrote an absolutely beautiful music accompaniment to the words I'd written. And uh, gosh, the first time I heard it, I called my wife Kelly into the room and I, I said, listen to this. This is just such a beautiful musical setting. And uh, every time I hear it, uh, it's almost as though I hadn't written the words. It, it has that kind of magic. I, I mean, I'm mindful that I did write the words, but just to see how the union of words and music creates something wholly new and special that I can return to. That particular song has, has been a real gift. Mm, wow, yeah, very fascinating, the, the, the process that you summarized and then the, 
uh, the uh, uh, music is uh, is very good with the uh, lyrics. In fact, uh, we're going to go ahead and listen to um, some short clips of each of them and be right back. I saw my friend at the Eagle and Child where long ago the inklings gathered to read from tales and stay a while to speak of things that mattered to know these days and bless them all oh how they beckon enjoy those uh, selections and as we'll uh, note uh, again later there are several different ways that you can preview the music and we definitely encourage you to purchase the project as well well now kevin uh, two songs uh, that has a looser connection to lewis uh, they relate more specifically to uh, chesterton an individual lewis enjoyed the reading uh, one is about the man, then the other is um, a Christmas song you adapted and added new words to, a poem by Chesterton himself. Tell us about these um, selections. Before Kevin tells about the first song, Mr. Chesterton, I'm inserting the preview of the song now, and then you'll hear his comments. Go back, Mr. Chesterton. And go rambling down a London lane And find a good tavern Hail a good friend Cause everybody knows your name Well, Mr. Chesterton uh, was really a song that uh, when I first began to talk to Phil about it. We had, I think, 11 songs, and I thought, you know, it'd be nice to have... Uh, as a round number, you know, 12, and, you know, gosh, if you've listened to the Beatles or other bands that you admire, a lot of things that, a lot of times, rather, that on their albums, uh, they will have a, a reprise at the end, you know, just a little tease or snippet of music to take you out of the album, as though the album were sort of a song cycle or a journey and just a way to really exit the album, but give you a little something memorable to hang your hat on. So that was the initial thought, and I... I said to Phil, here's some lines I've written down. Do you think we could maybe have 30 to 45 seconds uh, of that on the way out of the album? And So uh, I sent it off to him, and oh, maybe a day or so later, he sent me back, uh, I think the song, when I first heard it as a demo, ran between, oh, 2 minutes and 30 seconds and 2 minutes and 45 seconds or so. So it was a full-blown song to, to close the album. And... Uh, you know, it was one of those things where I thought, wouldn't it be fun to, to take Chestertonian turns of phrase, allusions to things like a lamppost on the corner, or taking a handsome cab through the streets of Edwardian London, you know, just these little things that give us a window into his world. Wouldn't it be fun to set it uh, against music that's sort of reminiscent of Penny Lane, you know, the wonderful Beatles song, and... Uh, 
gosh, when Phil put the music with the words, he really captured a, a time and a place, uh, so much so that when, uh, when Kelly heard it, uh, my wife, she, she said, gosh, this might be my favorite song on the album. And of course, Jeremy Casella, who's one of the vocalists who lent his talents to the album along with uh, several songs with Phil, Jeremy's written round to say much the same thing. So something that was originally sort of envisioned as a reprise, just a you know, brief musical um, flavor on the way out of the album actually ended up becoming a full-blown song. And for a lot of people, their, their favorite track on the album. Now, let's have you hear the next song before I share what Kevin said about the Christmas poem. Also, for this selection, you'll notice the vocals are not by Phil. You can check the notes to find out who it is, along with other details about the project. The Christ child in the manger lay, poor shepherds may Christmas of this past year, 2022, 
And uh, just before New Year's, he called here at the house, and uh, he said, Kevin, I, I have to tell you, I really love the words uh, that you sent with that Christmas card. Would you mind if I set them to music? And, uh, or, or rather, I'd like to set them to music. <laughs> you know, I, gosh, she could have knocked me over with a feather. I was uh, very touched to think that uh, the words had meant that much to Phil. And, of course, you know, I said, I'd be honored. Uh, and, gosh, I, I don't think it was more than a couple days later. He's, he must have had the music in his mind very early on because he sent me, you know, a completed song within a day or two, really. Uh, and it was absolutely beautiful. It, I remember, uh, I think he teased it with his Patreon listeners. Uh, you know, put the demo there as just sort of a, uh, a gift, really, to thank them for their support. Uh, and uh, so it was an early version of the song with Phil doing the vocal and the guitar together. And uh, our mutual friend Steve Bell heard it and was absolutely thrilled. And he said, wow, didn't know you guys had something like this uh, waiting in the wings, you know, I, I'd like to add this to my concert list every year. It really struck home with Steve. So very early on, um, there was a sense with the words for the Christ child. Of course, they had a special story in and of themselves through the Chesterton tie. But then when Phil set them to music and people began to hear it, uh, there was a wonderful affirmation that there was something special there. So that began the process of just sending some words to different things I'd written back and forth. And by the time we were into early or mid-February, we had six songs put together. It, it happened very quickly, but I hasten to say, you know, all, uh, all praise to Phil for his generosity and kindness and friendship. You know, he just, someone with all the demands on his time, he took time to give these words a, a home in music, and uh, boy, what a home it turned out to be. Well, now, along the way, you've mentioned some of the answer to the next question that I had planned here, but uh, there's, I'm sure, other things you might share, and that is, how did your poetry get turned into songs by Phil Kagey? Uh, what was your reaction to this honor, and what do you know about the process you went through recording them? Well, it really, I, I should say at the outset, is a tribute to Phil's kindness and friendship. The songs were born out of friendship. Um, but I, I think Phil, the great gift that he has as a songwriter and as a composer, uh, a lot of times he has, throughout his career, set words written by others to music. So there's a real precedent for that from the very outset, you know, all the way back to 76 and Love Broke Through. There are several songs on that album that uh, were written by people, and Phil had read them uh, as, as a really verse and uh, they touched a special place within him as a musician, and he wanted to give them life as songs. So there's that part of who he is as an artist that comes to the fore. Uh, in, in the case with the songs that were on Pilgrimage, um, it was really one of the, at a time. It was sort of a pen pal process. Um, I, I do remember as we were going along, and it's probably right around February of this year, when we had five or six songs that... Uh, there was a palpable sense of excitement and inspiration that was coming through as we would exchange emails and, and Phil would be kind enough to Dropbox um, his first uh, demos for some of these songs. And it just seemed like uh, there was a real flowering of inspiration, I guess is the way to put it, just a real 
welling up of artistry and uh, a place where the words of music really seem to, to find one another. And uh, I guess being the one that was sort of a spectator to all of this, having sent the words along, seeing how quickly they found a place uh, with music Phil had written was a source of great uh, real wonder to me, uh, just how close his gift bubbles to the surface that he was able to tap into and find music for words. And I'm always mindful, in medieval times, uh, they used to talk about alchemy and how you create gold from other materials, and it was sort of a mysterious process, but it was it was fine and wonderful. And I, I think the word alchemy is really there. Uh, you know, Phil has a great gift for helping to cast words other people have written in gold and, and wonderful music. And uh, to have a near view of that process uh, was pretty special. But yeah, it went along one song at a time. And as I say, near the end, when we realized we had, I think it was about seven or eight songs, and Phil had written to me saying, gee, we should do a proper album. I need a few more from you. I was able to go back and uh, look through some things I'd written and pick out two or three and say, you know, if these meet with your approval, you know, let's go with these. And that's really how it, it came to an end. But then once we had all the demos in place, uh, Phil put his producer's hat on. And the only thing I can really liken it to is, is what I've become familiar with in watching documentaries about Brian Wilson, the great uh, producer and creative force behind the Beach Boys, you know, just this remarkable person who uh, has so many gifts within their artistry. He could be both a writer of music, but a writer of words, and then go into the studio and gather musicians and uh, paint each musical canvas in very unique and special ways and seeing how Phil uh, called on friends there in Nashville and our friend Steve Bell and his uh, fellow artist Aaron Propp in Canada, really an international cast of fellow musicians to help uh, put the final touches to the canvas for each one of the songs. Uh, that was special. Because it seemed like every day as Phil was in the studio and he kept me well apprised of who he was bringing in and uh, what he hoped to have accomplished there. So, you know, you have an album that's full of folk and Baroque pop and uh, rock. There's so many streams, jazz, uh, all these different streams of influence flow into it. It really reminded me, if you want to know, Paul Simon has put out a wonderful album called Seven Psalms, and he released a little documentary film to go with it. And watching that film and seeing how Paul Simon called people into the studio and helped flesh out that album, that's the kind of uh, close seat to all that was unfolding that I felt like I was privileged to have. Um, and then I'm also mindful of, of Bill's peers, to me, the album has a lot of resonance. We've mentioned Van Morrison for sure, but other artists like Sting, and I think of the album uh, Soul Cages. Uh, just uh, There's a deep vein of faith, artistry, and just a, a wonderful spirit of collaboration. You know, we have to remember that Pilgrimage is Phil Kagey and Friends uh, sing the poems of Kevin Belmonte. So uh, the Phil Kagey and Friends part is a very special centerpiece for me. Uh, I think Phil uh, 
brought together through his own kindness of heart, but also knowing what he wanted to bring into the studio, he just gathered a who's who of very talented people to concert their talents. And, you know, any of the songs would not be uh, the wonderful things they became were it not for the contributions of all the different ones that Phil called on to lend their talents. So the, the collaborative process, I would be quick to point to straight away is, is something very special. Yeah, I know definitely one of the um, aspects that I enjoy about the um, album is that it's the um, variety to it. It's definitely Phil Kagey because you, you, you um, have his voice and yet the, the different styles. It's familiar but yet new, uh, and so it's uh, really wonderful. Again, talking with uh, Kevin Belmonte, and the project by Phil Kagey is called Pilgrimage, and it is Phil Kagey and Friends. Before moving away from this project, let's uh, go ahead and note uh, some of the, the interesting things is that uh, one of the songs has uh, music with uh, Keith Green in it. Tell us briefly about that and then some other unique aspects that stand out in your mind. Oh, I'm really glad you asked about that, William. Uh, Keith Green was such a, a deep influence, uh, an abiding influence on me in my journey of faith in my younger years. I was 18 when he passed away. And, uh, gosh, it's really hard to, to summarize briefly just how much his music meant to me. But suffice it to say, you know, I, like so many in those years, uh, listened to all of his albums and the the hunger to know and to follow God and to live for Him that shines in so many of Keith's songs meant so much to me. And I uh, was deeply, deeply saddened uh, when he passed, as so many of us were. We it was just such a, a terrible tragedy. But of course, you know, we have the gift of his music that just lives on. And, uh, you know, returning to Keith's music is like spending time with an old friend. And for me, that really hits home because uh, a few days after the plane crash that took his life and the lives of all those wonderful people that were on the plane with him, I received a postcard from his ministry organization, Last Days Ministries. Uh, he had been slated to do a concert, and I knew about it. I was looking forward to it. It had been teased in the newsletter. He was going to come up to Dartmouth College, which is up here in New England, and do a concert on October 2nd of 1982 there at Thompson Arena. And uh, the postcard was asking me would I be willing to serve as a, a counselor there at the concert and help lead others to faith in Christ. And to have had the opportunity to go up to that concert at Dartmouth to meet Keith, uh, to help him lead others to faith would have been such a special experience. And uh, I've kept that postcard all these years inviting me to be a counselor at that concert. But fast forward to the present, because I was very mindful that uh, Phil and Keith had been great friends and had collaborated together on many musical projects. When I was thinking about the the songs of pilgrimages that began to take shape, the, the thought came to me, wouldn't it be nice uh, to write a set of lines that pay tribute to Keith, that would be the thank you that I always wanted to share with him for all that his music meant to me. And just to bookend that stream of thought, if we could speak to him now and tell him all the stories of lives that were changed because his music and his concerts hit a very special chord for so many of us and encouraged us in our walk of faith and 
in ways that have stayed with us all these years later, and it's been well over 40 years. So uh, those were the kinds of things that were in my mind. So I wrote the words down, and I sent them off to Phil. And uh, again, within two or three days, he sent me back a, a first demo. And uh, knowing Keith's music as well as I did, there was a piano intro, and it went for, well, I don't know, anywhere from four to eight measures, maybe 12 at the most. But I knew right away it was Keith playing. And so I wrote to Phil and I said, gosh, am I hearing Keith's piano there at the beginning, you know, when there's this beautiful transition to Phil's guitar that takes you to the song? And he said, yes, of course, and that's him. And uh, he said, I grabbed it from a live performance that was there uh, on YouTube. And so fast forward to when uh, the studio time came around, uh, Phil got in touch with Keith's widow, Melody, and asked her permission and that of her daughters to, to use that music, to have Keith actually contribute to this song and be part of the album. And uh, boy, she sent such a lovely, gracious and beautiful reply. I was deeply touched uh, when Phil sent it along. And, and she was just so kind to say, that the song was beautiful, that she and her daughters were very touched by it, and they not only gave their permission, but their blessing to it. So for me, uh, as uh, the 18-year-old that I once was, that was a wonderful full-circle kind of experience, and uh, I really treasure that. Mm, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think I read or, or saw you mentioned some of that, but uh, the uh, full story there is uh, very, very touching. Yes, well, you know, and I'm happy to say uh, there's something of a sequel, or perhaps a prequel, to the actual creation of the song. In 2012, I was invited up to Dartmouth to speak about William Wilberforce and my work on the film Amazing Grace, uh, and to talk a little bit about Chesterton as well. Those were a couple points of interest uh, for the student group up there at Dartmouth that invited me to speak. And the event organizer asked me, is there anything special that I could do for you to help make your visit uh, meaningful? And I said, wow, since you asked, uh, would you be willing to have the young people lead us in singing uh, Keith Green's song, There is a Redeemer? And of course he wrote back straight away and said, yes, we could certainly do that, no problem. Um, and I, he said, if you don't mind my asking, why did you uh, pick that particular song? And so I said to him, well, believe it or not, 30 years ago, Keith was scheduled to do a concert at Dartmouth, but was never able to come because of the plane crash. And uh, it just would be very meaningful to me to hear his music in Dartmouth and remember uh, the concert that never was, but allow his music to live here for a little while. So I went up to Dartmouth and got ready to give the talk, and the young people led us in the singing of that song, and I told them, about the concert that never was and how much Keith's music meant to me. And I thanked him for letting his music live there at Dartmouth for a little while and why that was meaningful to me. And William, I was so struck. These young people, none of whom had been born uh, when Keith passed away, were deeply touched. And all of a sudden I saw some of them wiping away tears. And uh, gosh, you know, that was something, that was a moment, that was a, a scene, a setting that fed into me wanting to write a song in tribute to, to Keith. So uh, that, I think, 
really sort of closes the circle on what led to the song, but there have been some wonderful points of connection that uh, when Phil set the words I've written to music, they just became something very special, and I'll always be deeply grateful for that. Mm. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, his music was very excellent. Well, um, shifting back to um, Phil Keggy, um, you already made a reference to uh, another Lewis-themed song that he did. In fact, it was uh, all of his words, but uh, go ahead and uh, tell us about uh, some, uh, remind us first of the song you mentioned earlier, and then any other uh, songs from his vast catalog of music that would have a Lewis theme or some uh, tip of the hat to him. Well, I think straight away I would think of As the Ruin Falls from Love Broke Through. And for me, uh, that's the first song that uh, Phil felt the the influence and uh, the presence of C.S. Lewis in the written word and set to music. And for me, I suppose it'll always have the most special place because... You know, I didn't know a lot of poetry by heart, you know, when I was 12 years old. Uh, certainly not a, a poem written by an Oxford academic uh, who had uh, passed away, oh gosh, 13 years before Phil created the album we know as Love Broke Through. So when he set the words to that poem to music verbatim, I mean, it's a direct quoting of the poem, and what's more, got permission from the C.S. Lewis estate to do it. Uh, of course, that would be very tricky now. Uh, but in those days, uh, it was much more uh, of an opportunity. So th- there was a special time and place where the words Lewis had written spoke to Phil's heart. He created this gorgeous piece of music. It reminds me of so many of the best moments uh, from the master and the musician, uh, this wonderful English chamber music feel. Uh, with acoustic guitar and flute. It's so evocative, such a, a lush arrangement, this beautiful ballad. And, and Lewis's words became something that I grew to know by heart because of Phil. So it wasn't just a song that touched my heart and has touched the hearts of so many over the years. I'm not the only one who learned that poem by heart because of what Phil did through his artistry and setting Lewis's words to music. So that would be the one that I would point to most of all. Hmm. Yeah, and off the top of my head, I was just recalling that um, the instrumental Beyond Nature um, mm-hmm. as an influence from uh, Lewis Thought, and then I believe uh, Addison's Walk, I think, is a title of one, and maybe Brother Jack. Um, I was going to say, and Brother Jack as yeah. well, yeah. That's very true. One more thing regarding the uh, project uh, Pilgrimage. Uh, there's a song called Morning of My Seeking. I really enjoyed that song, uh, as well as the uh, other poetry that you've uh, written, uh, which is a new venture. So we'll have you talk about that aspect here. But go ahead and tell us a little bit about the uh, Morning of My Seeking. Well, thanks for that, William. It, that song, particular song has a, a real special story associated with it. Uh, the words to that song the bulk of them anyway, came to me in the middle of the night, uh, which is not <laughs> something that happens to me very often. Or if it does, I don't uh, rouse myself, get out of bed, you know, go over to my computer console in my office down the hall and uh, and write anything down. But I, I woke up in the middle of the night, oh, it was probably sometime in late January, early February, 
of uh, this past year, and I just I had these words and in my mind, and as I ran through them, it really came out as sort of a complete uh, lyrical thought. I thought, well, that sounds like it might be special. So I, you know, I got up and went down the hall very sleepily and uh, turned my computer on in my office and, and wrote it down and, you know, went back to bed and got up the next morning and looked at it. And I'm so glad that uh, I did trudge down the hall and write them down because if I didn't, we wouldn't have this amazing rock anthem that, that Phil wrote, uh, setting the words I'd written to music. And uh, for many people, I've been pleased to say, and people that have been kind enough to write or respond on social media, that is their favorite track. And uh, boy, you know, you hear that and you think it's one of the great classics that have always been there in Phil's canon of music. It just taps into so many uh, amazing things about his gifts as a rock guitarist, but uh, it's a brand new piece of work, and uh, it, he just took the words I'd written and brought them to a, another whole level of artistry. And uh, I marvel at sometimes the way uh, we feel the prompt from the Lord as people who write words or write music. Sometimes they come to us in sort of unexpected ways, and that certainly was the case here with that song. And uh, no, I, I will always be very, very grateful that I lost a little bit of sleep on that night. <laughs> but it was well worth it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, we uh, we made a uh, passing note here, um, or uh, if we haven't, but poetry is something of a more recent uh, venture for you. Uh, but uh, the other things you've done, you, you've made a few passing references, and that is you've uh, written books or uh, edited things. So uh, what are a few of the titles, and where can people find them? Well, the first book, really, that got me started as a biographer and historian grew out of my master's thesis uh, at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. That was on William Wilberforce. That was in the 90s, and uh, that became the book that grew out of that, I should say. It became the basis uh, for the film Amazing Grace that uh, I worked on for six years, uh, the art house film that tells the story of William Wilberforce and the 20-year fight to abolish the British slave trade there in, in Parliament. But other books that followed in the years after are books on John Bunyan, G.K. Chesterton, William Borden, D.L. Moody. Uh, there are about 20 books uh, in all, uh, collections of some of the writings by these figures, but then also books that tell the life story of some of these figures. Uh, all of them are available on Amazon or through, you know, booksellers like Barnes and Noble um, and a variety of, of iterations. Many have been released on audiobook, uh, so Audible is a place where you can listen to them. If you're not a, a reader as such, but you like to hear good stories, uh, I've been very blessed to have some of the finest uh, British and American uh, narrators read the books, uh, but they're there as e-books as well. Uh, there might even be an app or two that I'm not aware of. It's funny. I uh, I know that these apps exist, but I've never, never actually seen any of my books <laughs> in these applications. So, uh, yeah, and I, I've been very fortunate. Uh, God did something special with that first book on Wilberforce uh, and its connection to a major film, and it opened so many doors for me. So the poetry really has been there all along uh, in writing the books that I've written. It's something that I do in the margins. It's a way for me to get used to uh, 
finding ways to express things briefly, but uh, with imagery and metaphor, and uh, a lot of times, really, it, it's it's a keepsake. Writing poetry for me has been sort of a hobby and a keepsake sort of thing that I've I've shared with friends from time to time, and you know, in cards and things like that. So it's been something that I've worked away at, and I've always loved the uh, the hymn form of verse writing and been mindful of the ways that the hymnology and hymn writing has just enriched and influenced the flow of of worship and and created so many beautiful works of art. Um, So the idea of writing, you know, sort of sacred verse uh, or verse that taps into one's faith uh, through a wonderful image and rhyme scheme, those are all things I've had an interest in and been influenced by, you know, poets, uh, mostly from the UK, uh, but uh, a few here in America. And uh, so it was one of those things where I happened to have just a, a folder, really, of things. Uh, and beginning with the first song on pilgrimage, The Christ Child, and sending along some other things I'd written and some newer things that I was working on, it uh, all became part of a very wonderful process that I never saw coming, but uh, became something very special with pilgrimage. Ah, very good. Well, now, uh, wrapping up here then, you, you obviously enjoy Lewis's writings, and I'm sure it's impossible to even list a few favorites. So what are some titles by him that maybe you've more recently been enjoying or, or planning to start to read, and then why do you find them especially enjoyable? Well, I think I've read just about everything Lewis has written. I mean, I started reading him when I was 12, so I'm about to turn 60. I've had a lot of time to, uh, to find them all and go through them, but I think the book that I like the most in recent years and that I find myself returning to, uh, nonfiction that is, is God in the Dock. Those wonderful uh, essays that Walter Hooper so painstakingly collected from all the different occasional pieces that Lewis wrote um, in, in just uh, all kinds of publications. I can't imagine the work that went into gathering them, but there are so many good things in there. I just You can sit down and read one of them and feel like you've had a very rich, meaningful conversation with Lewis. So that's a nonfiction one. Of course, the Narnia books are are always with me. Uh, They really helped influence my journey to faith when I was 12. Uh, I had a friend uh, who was not a Christian in my sixth grade class, and she's never become one. We've stayed in touch over the years. She absolutely loved the Narnia books and told me about C.S. Lewis, and I had no clue in those days who Lewis was, and she told me I absolutely had to read those books. So when I was really beginning to think about faith and committing one's heart and life to Christ, uh, reading the Chronicles of Narnia at that point uh, in my growing up years was really uh, the the final touch of grace uh, that led me to faith. So I think the Narnia books are perennial favorites, and it would be hard to pick a favorite, but... uh, I'll take all seven. <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right. Well, uh, Kevin, uh, thanks for sharing about the uh, project that uh, Phil Keggy and Friends has released, a Pilgrimage, uh, based on your uh, poetry. So thanks for being on the show today. Well, and thank you, William. I, I really appreciate it very much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin and that you'll want to listen to more of the Project Pilgrimage, a new release from Phil Keggy and Friends that just came out in 2023. There are links in the notes for where you can listen to the entire project and also purchase it. 
Again, I'm William O'Flaherty. My podcast, All About Jack, has been around since 2011. My more recent YouTube channel is called Knowing and Understanding C.S. Lewis. Be sure to check out a short feature I have there, the latest on Lewis that focuses on timely news. You can check the description or show notes again for links to items mentioned in the show today. Finally, everything I do related to Lewis is centralized at the website EssentialCSLewis.com. And in case you didn't know, I've written two Lewis-themed books. The misquotable C.S. Lewis was released in 2018. It examines 75 quotations credited to him that he either didn't write, or paraphrases of something he did, or without the context could be misunderstood. Then a few years before that, my enhanced study guide to the screw tape letters came out. It's called C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell. Thanks again for listening. And please consider liking and sharing this episode with others. <laughs>